Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will, and find Mark chapter 4, the fourth chapter of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one located around you, and we want you to follow along because I'm going to be covering uh, 20 verses here. And so Mark chapter 4, can we just give praise to God? Isn't he good? Amen. Uh, you've been praying and singing, and uh, you know, on one occasion, Jesus said, if we don't praise him, I know it was a different context, but he said the rocks will cry out. We don't want rocks grabbing hymnals today and joining the chorus because we won't. Uh, so let's just lean in and let's praise God even through the word. I start with every week asking you to open your Bibles. I've been asked the question even by sometimes pastors, why do you do that? Why don't you start with some catchy story or some anecdote? And the reason that we start there is on purpose. Uh, you don't have to start a sermon that way, uh, but we start by saying, this is the text, and this is the text that's going to drive everything that we hear today. Uh, our desire is to, to understand it and to apply it. I came across a recipe for rabbit stew. Doesn't that sound delicious? Uh, if it is going to be delicious, you need to follow the recipe from beginning to end. You don't want to miss the first step for rabbit stew, the first step, kill a rabbit. There's a lot that we can do here today, and uh, that would be garnish, but we want to see what does the meat of the word say? What's the text say? Uh, the text is going to tell us today that the word of God is like a seed. When our desire is to sow seed, the seed of the word so many more can hear. That's why Frank shared to, with you today about what's going on at our location in St. John's County. And in all of our locations, we have this distinction. Our church has this distinction. We believe in live, expositional preaching. We, we believe preachers should be in person preaching to people who are also in person. So if you're listening online, glad you're here. If you can be here next week, be here. Uh, because we believe in that. Uh, look at this text, uh, Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. About three years ago, uh, almost four, some seeds were discovered in ancient Israel near Jerusalem. Uh, they were found in jars that were sealed around one of Herod's uh, structures. And, and these seeds were vacuum sealed, so they were dry, still good. And uh, so the seeds were brought out and they were put in good soil, they were given good water, they were, they were germinated and, and then fertilized, and they, they grew, 2,000-year-old seeds actually grew. Uh, they grew into date palms, these ancient date palms that had been thought to be extinct now, again, are populating Israel because of 2,000-year-old seed. As we read today, Jesus is going to talk about seed, and this seed is 2,000 years old, but still, if you will receive it in your heart, if you receive it in your heart, it can be planted, it can bring forth fruit over and over again. Look at the text with me, if you will, beginning in verse 1. Again, again, in verse 1, he began to teach beside the sea. Let me make a few comments as we read through here. Jesus has been shown to do great works. Mark, the writer of this gospel, focuses on the works of Jesus, unfortunately, Many who saw the works of Jesus rejected Jesus. They ascribed his works, some of them, to the devil. But his works 
certainly proved he is the Son of God. It's now that Mark moves from focusing on Jesus' works to focus on his words. So this is really is a transition in the gospel as now we're going to be seeing what Jesus not only did, but hear what Jesus said. Jesus began teaching beside the sea. And you can picture this, can't you? A very large crowd gathered around him. He's being pressed all the way back to the water so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So you can kind of get this picture. You're there. It's going to be, again, in Israel. So it's arid, uh, low humidity, crisp sky, beautiful scenery, green grass. You can smell the spray of the sea. And Jesus there uses the boat as a pulpit with an amphitheater so people can hear. People can hear. But will they hear? It's one thing to hear with your ears. Jesus is going to tell us it's another thing to hear with your heart. Not everyone today will hear Jesus. There's a reason why. Notice what the text says as Jesus is in this boat and the entire crowd by the, the sea on the land. Verse 2, he was teaching them with many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed, some seed fell on the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Then he explained the reason for this parable, verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see and not perceive, and may indeed hear and not understand, lest they should turn, that's repentance, and when they repent, be forgiven. This is the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is for you and I not only to hear it, but to respond to it in repentance so that we can be forgiven. Why doesn't everyone respond to the gospel? It's such good news. Why isn't everyone saved? Well, Jesus says this, verse 14, the sower sows the word, and there are the, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, and when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Ask yourself this question, how does Satan do that? 
mean, the word's being sown. Jesus said very clearly, the word of God is the seed. How does the seed get taken away immediately today? Even in this room and at other churches where the seed is being sown. Um, verse 16, and these are the ones who are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others, it's the third type of soil, verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. These are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Verse 20, but those, and this is the fourth type of soil, but those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Jesus says there's four types of soil, all of them representing the human heart. And there's only one soil that actually is receptive to the truth. Even though other soils appear to be receptive, they are not. Let's pray and ask God to help us because if we're going to receive this truth, we need God's help. That's clear. Uh, This truth has to be given to us by God uh, and we have to receive it by faith. So would you pray this old ancient Puritan prayer with me? It goes like this. Lord, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. Open our eyes to see wondrous works from your law that in seeing them we might be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is an awesome teaching of Jesus, and he is an awesome teacher. I was uh, listening to one of my favorite preachers this week, and he said that very statement. Jesus was an awesome teacher. I overuse awesome, way overuse it. I think, man, that's awesome. And this always comes out. But I, when I heard that, I thought, yeah, Jesus is really the only awesome teacher. And as I was thinking that, I pulled into the turn lane to go into my neighborhood, and there was a car in front of me, a Porsche. And it had one of these personalized tags and the tag says, awesome. Some of y'all seen this? Y'all know the story behind it? So I began thinking, what's the story behind that? Well, what's awesome? I mean, why, what made them pay extra to have that on their tag? Something, there's st- some story behind that. But here's the reality about Jesus. Jesus was awesome because of his person, but he was awesome in a way he taught with stories. There was always a story behind Jesus. In fact, 35% of what Jesus taught was taught using and telling and relaying stories called parables. Now, what is a parable? What is a parable? Well, we need to understand what a parable is because you're going to come across them, not only in the New Testament, also sometimes in the Old Testament. A parable basically is an illustration of truth. It means to cast down or throw down next to something in order to illustrate or to measure up what that is or what you're trying to show. Jesus taught in parables, the word parable from the word parallel, giving us an illustration of truth in order to show us what truth is. So a parable is that. One little girl kind of had it right when she said, a parable is, a, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, okay? And so we have these parables. Now, you need to understand three things about parables. I call this, uh, whether it's uh, lame or not, you can decide, the one, two, threes of parables. One, two, threes of parables. Number one, uh, very important. I know this is not lame. This is accurate. 
Parables tend to give one point. So when you read a parable, you're going to ask yourself the question, what's the point? Uh, In other words, you can get really uh, wrapped up around uh, the story, uh, the parable, and make it an allegory where everything in the story means something. Uh, That's not the case. Parables have a point. The point of this parable is this. It's at least this. Your heart is either fertile soil, fertile soil, therefore receptive to the Word of God, or your heart is corrupt soil and you are unreceptive to the Word of God. So that's the point of this story. Number two, parables were given for two contrasting reasons. Number one, parables make a point. Number two, Therefore, two contrasting reasons. If you have the idea that the reason Jesus gave parables is so people could understand, get that out of your mind because we learn in this parable that some people heard parables and did not understand. Why? Because not only was Jesus revealing truth, but sometimes concealing truth, hiding it. Who would the truth be hidden from? People who didn't want it. They didn't want it. So, two, two reasons for parables. How you listen today matters. Do you want to hear the truth today, yes or no? If you want to hear the truth and you lean in, only by God's grace will you hear it and by His help. Without His help, you won't have it. Number three, number three, one, two, three, three. There are ty- three types of parables. This is a, a whole nother conversation that you can get at another time, but there are salvation truths Kingdom truths, church truths, salvation, kingdom, church. Sometimes they're intertwined, but you need to know what they are because sometimes people misunderstand parables. They think a parable is to be applied to the church when it's really to be applied to the kingdom of God, our salvation. This is a salvation parable. This is a salvation parable that is intertwined with the kingdom. If you don't have this truth in your heart, you're not in the kingdom. This is a salvation parable. So Jesus explains this parable. Look at verse 14. And see this, this is very important. Now, the key to this parable is verse 14. If you get verse 14, then the rest of it will help you to understand it. If you want to, if you want to. The sower sows the word. So what is the seed? What is the, you don't usually talk back to me, but go ahead. What is the seed? Okay. The sower sowing the word. The sower being the farmer, you can get the picture of, in Jesus' day, a farmer not using implements like we have, broadcasting seed from a sack probably over his shoulder, and then overseeding because he's not able to plow, he's not able to get the seed down deep, so he just has to throw a lot of seed out there. By the way, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's not only sowing seed, we'll see in this text that he's actually sowing a lot of seed a lot of times. The word is the seed. Peter said, since you've been born again, not by a perishable seed, but by imperishable through the living, abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass. It's glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Not just 2,000 years. The word of God is the seed. James said, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Why? So that you could receive with meekness 
the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Hey, never, ever forget. No word, no salvation. It's a nice thought that someone might be able to walk out of their house anywhere in the world after having a vision or dreaming a dream and look up in the stars and see that there must be a creator God and then therefore be saved. It is not a thought that comes from Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Do you believe that? And the way in which Jesus is revealed is through his word. He chose to do that. Therefore, we have to understand the preaching of God's word is very important. And then the listening to God's word is imperative. Look at verse 10. This is a question from intentional listeners. This is pretty awesome. And then Jesus was alone. That didn't happen very often, did it? Jesus' day was busy. And now he's finally alone. Those around him with the 12. Now note this. These are other disciples, not the 12. Other disciples, not the 12. Although the 12 have questions. We know that from other texts. They ask about these parables. These are men who want to know the truth. Women who are intent in listening. They don't hear Jesus' sermon and say, that was awesome, and then go to lunch and talk about other things. How many times have I done that? They have to know more about what Jesus is saying. They have to understand this deeply. They are intentionally listening, therefore intending to go to Jesus to understand. So then Jesus gives them, this is wonderful, in answer, more scripture, the word. In fact, look at verse 11. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. And then verse 12, that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand. That is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. Jesus is quoting scripture, the word to these men. The word is going to bring conversion to their soul. Now, they are asking a very important question. What does this parable mean? They understood the scenery, the imagery, more than we do. They could have understood probably even as they're listening to Jesus what he was describing as they might be able to see from that place next to the sea. Can you just get the picture there? A plowed field with a farmer sowing seed. The imagery's there. They get it. They understand. But they don't understand. When I was getting ready for this message, I thought, I, I know this passage. I, I know this passage. This is gonna be, it's gonna be one of those weeks where I, I won't maybe have to study near as much. Uh, at 10 o'clock last night, I was still studying. And it started this way. The very, one of the very first people I read on this text after doing my, my, my language work was R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul said, this is one of the most difficult parables to teach. And I thought, this is great. Because if you're going to say something, you have to listen first. And here's the reality. If God doesn't give it to you, you don't have it. Verse 12, Jesus said, in this double clause, there are people who don't want it. So therefore, they don't see, they don't hear. And as a result, they don't understand. And literally in English, it would be, they don't put the pieces of the puzzle together. They heard it. They've seen it. They don't put the pieces of the puzzle together. They understand the story. Oh, I understand the story. This makes sense to me. 
But unless God gives you the secret of the kingdom, verse 11, you, you don't have it. The secret here is something that was once known is not now known. Uh, excuse me, once was not known, now is known and only known because God opens your eyes to see and open your ears to hear. And it's given to you. The word given is in the divine passive, which means it happened in a time past, but you didn't do it. God did it for you. And then the result is fruit that comes. In other words, if you in fact have been saved and have received the word of God, you can take no claim on that salvation because God did it all from the convicting of your sin to the opening of your ears and your eyes to then planting the seed in your heart so that it would supernaturally bring forth fruit. So that Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1, then therefore only God gets the glory. We, we want to claim we did something. But we do nothing. Jesus said, look at this verse 13. Do you not understand this parable? If if you don't understand this parable, then how will you understand all the parables? Y'all listen to this. This is so important. If you don't understand this story, you won't understand any of my stories. If you don't get this teaching, and you don't get this teaching except if God gives it to you, You don't get any of my teaching. Would you say then that it's important for us today to understand this parable? These disciples come, they ask the right question, they ask the right person, and they ask of the right heart. The Bible tells us if we don't know anything, we can ask of God. If we lack wisdom, he will give it to us generously and pour it out. We know that spiritual things are from God. Therefore, Paul says the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Oh, I'm sure you've had this experience. Just recently, I had someone kind of laughing to my face. Laugh behind my back, one thing to my face, because I believe the gospel. But spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And I don't believe the gospel because I'm smarter, better, or more holy. I believe the gospel because God opened my eyes, my ears. So here's the question. Do you want this truth? Ask yourself these four questions about your heart. Is your heart hardened? Is your heart hardened? Number one, here's a question you must ask. Is the soil of your heart hardened? Is it stony and hardened by sin? Does So or so is the word, verse 15. Those that are along the path where the word is sown, they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the the word that was sown to them. Uh, This is hard ground. Kids, if you're taking notes in your outline, this is the hard heart, a hard heart, calloused heart. This would have been easy for anyone, again, to see the field. Not only do they see the field, maybe the farmer, but they see the path that animals have trod down and People have walked, that walking path that is like cement where the seed goes and only makes a trough for birds to come and eat. No way for it to take root. In the Old Testament, this would have been called a stubborn heart or a stiff neck. John MacArthur said, these are people who are resolute and rigid in their indifference against God. They're disinterested and they love their sin. Their heart is a mix, their heart, this could be your heart today, a mixed thoroughfare, 
crossed by a multitude of iniquities and sins that traverse or travel on your heart day after day. Your heart is not fenced off to sin and lies exposed to evil stompings of everything that comes along. It is never broken up. It never plowed by conviction. It's never plowed by self-searching, self-examination, contrition, honest assessment of guilt, repentance. It's a calloused heart. How your heart got there could be a number of ways, but your heart's there. It might be like that, that you have just taken so much information in, so many images in on your devices, so many things that now you love those things more than you love the things of God. You don't even want anything to do with things of God. Don't talk to me about God. I have my own way of doing things. Hard heart. It's amazing that our heart can get this hard, but it can. Notice there was nothing wrong with the seed here. Nothing wrong with the seed. Just like that seed found in Israel that were of date palms found 2,000 years, there were 2,000 years old that were planted and palm trees came up. Nothing wrong with the seed, just had to be put in the right soil. The seed is the word of God. Nothing wrong with the seed. Certainly nothing wrong with the sower. But the hard heart has this problem that immediately when the seed is sown in the heart, Satan, who in one occasion is like a lion seeking whom he may devour, here is seen as a bird swooping down to get the seed and eat it up. How soon, how soon after the word of God is taught, preached, or read, is Satan ready to come to our heart and take away what is given so that our attention is on so many other things? I mean, we are a distracted people, aren't we? You just drive down 17. Man, I, I'm going to tell you what. I tell you, some of the most brave people in this room are the people who ride their bicycles on US 17. Because there are some distracted drivers. And that's dangerous. There's some distracted hearts here who've gotten hard. How soon we forget when things are not discussed, and Satan is always this way. Satan is always this way. You can count on him. He's punctual. He's on time. He's powerful. He's purposeful. He shows up immediately, takes a seed. Some of you know that. I, we battle this. And there's not a person in here who wouldn't say, I know. I get on my knees to pray. He shows up. Or not him, but one of his emissaries, one of the demons. I come to church. I'm plugged in. I'm dialed in. And I get a notification on my phone. I begin thinking about, did I leave the stove on? Did I, is the dog okay? I mean, what, what, I, what about that meeting I have tomorrow? Adrian Rogers preached a sermon some time ago called Why Some Preachers, Why Some Preachers Experience Crop Failure. Here's what he said. He said, there are a lot of people in this service today who have got a hard heart and the seed will just lie on the surface and the devil will come and snatch it away. You sit in the service and you figure out a business deal. You sit in the service and you're thinking about a party. You're thinking about what you're going to wear, where you're going to have lunch today, and never does the seed get in. Adrian Rogers said, that's not my fault, folks. It's not the seed's fault. It's the soil's fault. Some fell on the wayside, and that's the reason the Bible says today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Adrian Rogers on another occasion, I love, I love listening to him. He said a man came up to him before his sermon and he said, this man always fell asleep in my sermons. 
And the man came up to him for a sermon. This guy always fell asleep in the sermons. And he said, Dr. Rogers, uh, how would you like me to pray for your sermon today? He said, here's a good prayer you could probably pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But Satan tends to do that, doesn't he? He can sprinkle the sleepy dust. He can use our friends to steal the seed, our desire for acceptance, for being like everybody else. We reject the truth so that we don't have to conform to Christ. I don't want to be one of these Christians. Satan can use hurts to steal the seed. Haven't we experienced this recently? Haven't you heard from someone? Well, I used to go to church, but I got hurt. And Satan has used something that's happened in a bad situation that might be real and painful to steal away the seed. Nothing wrong with the seed. Nothing wrong with the word. Maybe something that happened that brought hurt, but nothing wrong with the word. Satan can use parents. Well-meaning, good people, parents to steal away the seed. The first time I experienced this, I was a student pastor. Dave and Terry were in the church and I had showed up at this guy's house. He was a young man, young guy, like 16, 17 years old. Life was going off the rails, but God was really working in his heart, it seemed like. And so I showed up at the house and I wanted to share Christ with him. And I was with another buddy and we're sitting on the couch and his parents came in and that was great. And they sat down on the couch, at least I thought it was at the time. And we began to share Jesus and we began to share Jesus. And I can't look at the soil. I can't look at a heart, neither can you. I can never tell somebody they're saved and neither should you. But I just sensed that, man, God's breaking this boy's heart. He's, I mean, he's, he's welling up with tears. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a tough, tough, rebellious kid, and, and God's breaking his heart. And I just asked him, man, would you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior today? And he said, I, I really do. I really do. And his mom jumped up. She jumped up. She said, no, no, no. You're already saved. You were baptized as an infant. We had you confirmed in our church. Then she pointed her finger at me. You are upsetting our house. Get out. Don't ever tell anybody they're saved. You can't look at someone's heart and know whether they're saved or not. And don't ever steal the seed away. Parents, parents, your children, may be saved, they may not be saved. Salvation is not something that they did. It is a very present experience of fruit being born in their life. And if they are saved, they will prove it out by the way they live in obedience to God. So don't always point back to, well, you were baptized this day. I know that can be well-meaning. You want them to be saved. You want them in heaven and you want them assured. But listen to me, this is too important of a matter to give someone the false assurance that they're saved because they raised their hand or they threw a stick in the fire at camp because everyone else was following God. And they said, I want to follow God in an emotional moment made, an, made a shallow commitment. That leads to the second soil here. Is, this, is your heart hard? You say, no, my heart is not hard. Could it be shallow? Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises 
on account of the word, immediately they fall away. It's not if you're going to be persecuted for the word, it's when, and then will you fall away. Satan does not give up easily. He cannot snatch the seed sometimes, so he will do his best to starve the seed. Notice there is so much on the surface here that it gives the appearance of conversion. The text says it is received, the seed is received with joy. And maybe that's the problem. Because whenever it is that someone is confronted with their sin, you are confronted with your sin, I'm confronted with my sin, we're not often joyful at that moment. Oftentimes with that conviction comes a broken heart, sometimes a hot tears of repentance, a sadness that is not a worldly sorrow. I've seen a lot of these shallow conversions in my life. A lot of these shallow conversions in my life. People that raised a hand, walked an aisle, got baptized. But they're snowflake Christians. We hear a lot about snowflakes these days. People that melt under tribulation and trouble or trial or hard times have all types of triggers that cause them to melt away. These are, they, these are, the, these are so-called Christians that when tribulation and trials and trouble come, they just melt. Maybe your heart's shallow. It explains to you why, why is it that, why is that brother, why does that sister walk away from God? Jesus wants us to know, thirdly, there's another type of soil, and that's the distracted soil, the worldly soil that gets strangled through the entanglement of thorns. Verse 18, and others, others are sown among thorns. These are those who hear the word, but the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, Satan knows sometimes difficulties won't work, so then delights might do the trick. The poor here may be in mind because there are cares. What, what's going to happen if I follow Christ? What's going to happen with my job, with my income, with me being able to meet my needs? And so they have these cares, and they're double-minded. The word here, care, is a word that indicates going in two different directions. You cannot follow Christ and follow the world. You cannot hold on to Jesus with one hand and the world with the other. There's no way any of us here can run in two directions simultaneously. We're on the platform, on the tr getting ready to get on the train. We're going in one direction or the other. And that just decides on which platform are you on. They have these, some who have, they, they've been deceived by riches, right? They, they are afraid. What will I give up if I follow Christ? And there are others. They just have worldly Desires, that's a big basket. That's a big basket. Interesting that thorns were first introduced during the curse after man's sin in the garden in Genesis 3, 15 through 18. And now man's soiled heart can be in, strangled by thorns. In, in Florida, we have an invasive plant called the hydrilla. And uh, I have seen hydrilla on paintings where you see beautiful, placid ponds and hydrilla and storks and cranes and fish jumping out and frogs on the bank and you go, but that's really not the way it is because hydrilla, as beautiful as it might look and where it may seem to be in a healthy situation, hydrilla will kill everything because it, it robs 
the nutrients from the pond, the oxygen from the pond so nothing can live. This is what Jesus is saying. Your heart can be so full of worldliness that you can't even receive the word of God because you're worried about too many other things. These choke the word. They, they seem that they, they have the word, but they just got a little backslidden. They, they didn't receive the seed. They just don't walk with Jesus as closely as others. These are worldly Christians, right? These are carnal Christians. I've heard of that. No. Now, now are these saved people who've left the fellowship of God? No, they're not. Well, well, then are these people who were saved that lost their salvation? No. These are those who on the outward look like they had salvation, but no conversion ever. I mean, they look saved. Matthew 7 will reveal some of these people. They'll look saved all the way up until the time they stand before Jesus Christ. Everyone will think they're saved, but they'll stand before Jesus and Jesus will say to them, when they make their plea, look at all we've done. We've preached and we cast out devils. We've done all this in your name, Jesus. And Jesus says to them, depart from me. There was a time I knew you, but now I don't. Nope. Nope. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I've observed this scenario many times. I wish I could look at people's soil. I wish I could look at people's hearts and see if they're truly saved or not. I remember one time Gary Pepper, a young man that grew up in a non-Christian home and had a lot of questions and doubts and was pretty skeptical about the Christian faith, came to see me with one of his buddies. Both of them seemed somewhat sincere, but I had my doubts. I had my doubts about Gary, not so much about the other. And uh, we talked about Jesus and we talked about the gospel and and Gary said, yeah, I'm ready to be saved. And I'm going to tell you something. Thomas in me came out. I doubted it. I was like, I don't, how, how does a guy with all these questions and all this skepticism now want to be saved? We'll see. Shame on me. Because that was over 30 years ago and Gary Pepper is still leading his family in Jesus and still serving faithfully in the ministry. If you'd asked me, what's the condition of Gary's soil? I would have said, probably not good. But you know what? The other guy, the other guy I thought was very sincere. And you know what? Turns out, not so much. Someone ran up to me one day and said, hey, this is Pastor Scott. Hey, this is, this is the pastor that saved me. And I thought, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. <laughs> D.L. Moody was an evangelist. And he won a lot of people to Christ. One day he was walking with one of his preacher buddies in Chicago and a drunk guy stumbled out of a bar, fell into the gutter, and they helped him up. And as they helped him up, they recognized him. And so DL's friend said, hey, DL, isn't that one of your converts? And he said, it must be, because it's not Jesus's. <laughs> verse 20, last verse. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Yeah, there is the stony heart. There's the shallow heart. There's the strangled heart, the worldly heart, entangled by the cares of the world. Now this, this is the heart, the last one, that has no struggle against the seed. Here's the hard things of the kingdom, the hard truths of God's word, and receives them. 
Is the soil of your heart fruitful? Has it been cultivated by the Lord, broken up by conviction and receptive to repentance from sin so that you might receive Jesus Christ as Lord? Good soil. The word for heard here is a little different than the way the others have heard it. They've heard because they have been given ability. This word heard is used in Luke 7.22 where Jesus tells John the Baptist, John the Baptist needs to know the deaf can hear. How did the deaf hear? How did people who never heard a sound, never heard mama, never heard dad, never heard a song, never heard music, never heard the birds, how do they hear now? John the Baptist, how do they hear? Because Jesus gave them hearing. The people with the good soil are the ones Jesus gives hearing to. The ones Jesus gives hearing to, how this works out, I don't know, and will understand it by and by, are the ones who want it. A man that I read about told this story. He'd, he'd gone to a, a church meeting, and this is what he explained, and I'll, I'll just read this so I can quote him directly. He said, uh, I was at a church meeting, and for the very first time, I heard about the claims of Christ. Uh, they were simple and authoritative. At the end of the talk, the man who was speaking invited those of us who wished to come to know Jesus to come to the front. So I did. I went to the front. I was introduced to the speaker, and we talked for a while. Uh, there were other people who wanted to ask questions, so I made my way to the exit. Very interested in what he had to say, but still in a deep fog. <laughs> just as I was, I love this scene, just as I was about to get to the door, I was confronted by a man who looked me in the eye and asked, are you a Christian? Strange question, I thought. So putting on my best Sunday school smile, said, oh yes, I think so. The man with a light in his eye looked at me again and said, are you a Christian? Huh, I thought. I need to humor him and escape. So I replied, well, I'm trying to be. Ever try being an elephant? Grinning at my dumb astonishment, he took me by the arm, set me down in the chair, and explained that no amount of training or trying could ever transform me into a Christian. And more than it, that, no more trying or training could turn me into an elephant just because I wanted to be. Then he began to explain the New Testament all about Jesus Christ, that he had died in my place, that he had paid the full penalty for which my sins demanded. As I stood there, condemned before a holy God, I needed a savior. Jesus alone could save me. Forgiveness for the past was possible in him. And moreover, in, the, in his resurrection, he was offering me to pow, the power to live the sort of life that up to this point, I considered hopelessly out of reach. What an incredible offer. The living God was willing to come and take my wretched, tarnished life, to take it over, take over what I was wasting and spoiling. How dare I refuse him? He promised. 
I flung open the door, and he was good on his word. True disciple does this. They repent. They repent in order to be made right with God, to be forgiven of their sin. Repentance may seem like an old, archaic word, out of fashion in the 21st century. We don't use it a whole lot. But repentance simply means that this, I am turning from my sin to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish in Luke 13, 3. Peter said, repent therefore and turn back that your sins might be blotted out. A person can't repent and believe on, on, on God unless God is doing the turning in us. Jeremiah 31 tells us that we have a prayer to pray to God, bring me back from my turning and restore me. There is a worldly sorrow that is demonstrated in the story today. That is, I'm sorry for my sin and I want my Savior and my, my world. But repentance says, I want Jesus and takes one hand off the world and puts both hands into Christ's. With repentance comes a change. Some of you might say, I would want to be saved, but I can't live. I'm afraid I'll be one of these that gives my life to Jesus and then goes back and messes it all up. Did you not hear the story? This is not something you do. This is something that's done for you. It's something God gives you in a gift and that he will make you to bear much fruit. You can't bear fruit, but he will bear fruit through you if you will be converted. I want to be. Be willing to confess your sin. You know, we've sinned against God so many ways. You, you and I have sinned against God so many ways. Would you confess your sin and by faith, would you believe on Jesus Christ and be saved? Are you being convicted of your sin? Don't, don't let Satan come and take away that seed. God says, today, if you will not harden your heart, you can be saved. God says, today, you say, tomorrow. Satan says, never. Don't let Satan trick you. Receive this incredible gift of God. God's been moving. He's moving in your heart, moving you to receive him by repentance and faith on him and then confess Jesus as Lord. Would you pray with me? Which soil today represents your heart? Which soil represents your heart? Hard? It's hard. Hosea says, their heart is false. Now they must bear the guilt, but the Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. There's judgment. But the word also is like a hammer that can break a hard heart. The Word of God is like a hammer that can break a hard heart and plow up what is hard and make it soft. Would you call out to God and say, God, soften my heart. I want to receive you. I do not want to reject you. Do you have a hard heart? Do you have, do you have a shallow heart? You, you've made some sort of decision sometime in the past, but there's no fruit that proves that you are truly His. And maybe you have a, a worldly heart you care too much about the things of the world, too much about other things. Do you have a soft heart that has received the word of God? Receive salvation and are you his? If you've never been saved, then call out to God to save you. Dear God, save me. Forgive my sin. I turn from it. I trust in you and you alone. You and you alone. You, Jesus, died 
in my place to give me what I do not and will never have. You will give me righteousness, and I don't have it. I'll never have it, but you'll give it to me as a gift, and I receive it. Save me in Jesus' name. Amen.